the Apostle Paul writes that God's will is for us to grow up, for us to mature, for us to finally become more like Jesus. Because if you're not grown up and you're not mature, you're immature or a child. And uh, even though a person may be physically mature, that's no guarantee that they're going to be spiritually mature. Right? Amen? Because spiritual maturity is not like physical maturity. Physical maturity happens automatically as you get older. Spiritual maturity is different. It's not automatic. It's a process that takes discipline and it takes intentionality. I don't know if that's a word, but uh, you know what I'm saying there. It takes being intentional. And so uh, I want to uh, minister today what I feel the Lord is directing us for the next few weeks as we prepare to go into 40 days of purpose, more specifically as we prepare in this 40 days of purpose to work together in small groups, work together in small groups to help one another grow spiritually during this time of spiritual growth. I want to lay a foundation for the next few weeks here as to why we're launching into small groups for six weeks. And then as we move into the new year in 2009, we're going to be using small groups uh, during the midweek as opposed to gathering together for a Bible study every Wednesday night. Now, I want you to understand fully why it is that we're doing this and uh, uh, get a, a good understanding, a good grasp of uh, where we're going as a church in this way and what the purpose and the intention is. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Let's ask God to bless what we're doing tonight. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for giving us your word and for prompting and directing us to teach according to what you want us to do, Lord God. I pray, Jesus, that you would bless tonight uh, what's happening, Lord God. Let your word be anointed. Let your will be done, Lord God. Hallelujah. We promise uh, to give you the glory and the honor and the praise, Lord Jesus, for your great and greatly to be praised. Let's clap our hands and praise the Lord together. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. Hallelujah. In just a moment, the PowerPoint will come up. And um, you will see, we'll begin to talk about the goals of uh, what we're desiring to do tonight. Uh, but our theme is how people grow. How people grow spiritually. How does it happen? What has to happen in order for someone to grow spiritually? Uh, there are three goals, three things that we're going to look at tonight, three things that, that uh, we desire to accomplish. The first one is to illustrate the spiritual growth plan for Life Church. Many of you have seen this before, uh, but I want to show you again so that you get a clear understanding of what our plan is at Life Church for helping people to grow spiritually. Secondly, our second goal is to identify what God uses to grow us spiritually. What are the things that God uses? It's not just one thing, but it's a mix of things that God uses to help us to grow spiritually. We're going to talk about five specific things that God uses to help us grow spiritually. And finally, we're going to introduce our preferred environment for spiritual growth. What is the best environment where these five things come together to help you and I as Christians grow and become what God wants us to be? Amen. There we go see here 
There we are. Here's the goals once again. Illustrate the spiritual growth plan of Life Church. Identify what God uses to grow us spiritually and to introduce our preferred environment for real spiritual growth. Now, um, uh, just so that you uh, understand, the next point is when we say discipleship, it's the same as saying spiritual growth. Uh, people have said, well, what does discipleship mean? Anybody heard that word before, discipleship? Is that the boat that the disciples rowed across the sea when the storm was coming and Jesus was walking on the water? They were riding on the discipleship. And, uh, no, discipleship simply means the art or craft of making disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a maturing Christian. It's not just somebody who is a uh, who is a uh, just been converted or just as a believer, but a disciple is someone who's acting out the purposes of Jesus Christ and actively following Jesus Christ. So discipleship, making disciples, the same as helping people grow spiritually so that you understand that. Uh, helping a person grow up to be everything that God wants he, him or her to be. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen is the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, this is the New International Version that speaks it so clearly. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus told his disciples, I don't want you to just go do mass crusades and have a lot of people receive the Holy Ghost. I want you to go make disciples. Amen. And uh, at Life Church, if we pray through a thousand people and see a thousand people baptized in Jesus' name this next year, that'd be exciting, wouldn't it be? But what if we prayed through a thousand people and didn't make one single disciple? Would we have been doing what Jesus told us to do? No. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus tell us to see as many people as we can prayed through. Now, we know that's the new birth experience. And we know someone can't become a disciple without the new birth experience. But the point is we're selling ourselves short. If we as a church only want to see somebody receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that's it. We want to make disciples because that's what Jesus has commanded us to do. Make disciples. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. A disciple is one that has taken up his cross and followed Jesus and his intentional about uh, obeying Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4.13, this was the text that we read. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So this is God's plan that we would grow up and become mature and have the measure of the fullness of Christ. You're like, what does that mean, the measure of the fullness of Christ? That's a, a lot of hard to understand lingo. What it simply means is... Here's Jesus Christ. Here's me. I'm trying to measure up. And what is spiritual maturity when I begin to measure up to Jesus Christ? Whenever my attitude is different than Jesus, I'm not measuring up. Right? Whenever my attitude is different than Jesus, I'm not measuring up. Whenever my behavior or conduct is not like Jesus, I'm not measuring up. So God's will is that in every way, in every way we would grow up, not just in one way, but in every way, we would grow up into the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So discipleship in our conversation or spiritual growth can be used interchangeably. Now, here's the 
the, the, the real important question because if God's told us as a church to make disciples, the next logical question is how do you make disciples? We uh, just uh, help people experience the new birth experience and then turn them loose uh, and then let the Holy Spirit do do the rest of the work. We know the Holy Spirit is the important compo- the all-important component. Without the Holy Ghost, we can't do anything. When we try to make disciples without the Holy Spirit, it's going to be a mess or it's going to be very dry and empty. It's not going to happen. But the, the flip side of the equation is if we just leave someone alone with this new gift and don't help them develop and grow as a Christian and, and uh, learn how to obey the Lord Jesus, teach them to obey the Lord, then we also have a problem. So we need to learn how to make disciples. And the best example that we have in disciple-making is Jesus Christ because he made 12 of them, didn't he? He made 12 disciples, and out of those 12, one of them flipped out. He, he, he didn't, Jesus didn't even bat a 1,000 in disciple-making, so we can't expect that every person that we begin through the process is going to make it through the process. But the fact is those 11 that didn't flip out ended up turning the world upside down. Amen? And so Jesus made some pretty good disciples. So we've got to observe how did Jesus make disciples. Some of you may have heard some of this before, but let me just share it with you real, real carefully. It, there, were, there were three steps, I believe, that Jesus used to make disciples. Everybody hold up three fingers. Three fingers. And this process for making disciples is what we're attempting to use as Life Church to make disciples as well. The first thing that Jesus did in order to make disciples was, number one, to connect. Everybody say connect. Connect. Matthew 4 and 18. I'm going to read this for you. You can follow along. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So it's just a random human being, just some men out there fishing. Jesus says, the first step, if I'm going to make some disciples, is I've got to get them connected. He says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Straightway they left their nets and followed him. So the first thing that happened is Jesus said, you've got to get connected to me. And what happened when they connected to Jesus? They were connecting to God, right? They were getting connected to God. So the first step, Jesus said, you've got to get connected to God. And uh, they, they follow him. Verse 21, going on thence, he saw other two brethren, uh, James, the son of Debedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left their ship and their father and followed him. So the first step that Jesus did in making disciples was he said, we've got to be connected. You've got to connect with God. But if you notice, there's another subtle thing happening here as well. And that is that Peter and Andrew are now connected as well together with James and John. So they're not only connected with Jesus, but they're also connected with other people who are striving to become disciples. And so the first step Jesus understood is I can't just send out pamphlets and send out video uh, and DVD infomercials and, and try to... Uh, impact people's lives through through my ministry and my word. If I'm going to make a disciple, they've got to follow me. They've got to spend some time with me. 
It's not about what I say behind the podium. It's about what my life is that's going to impact them. So I've got to get them connected with me and also connected with some other believers. Amen. That was the first step that Jesus did to make disciples. So now they're connected. And what's next? Now that these men are following Jesus, what happens? They begin to grow. They begin to grow. Amen. Mark chapter 3, verse 7. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea. What happened was these people, these disciples that were now following Jesus, were spending lots and lots of time with him. Whenever the crowd went away, the disciples stayed with him. And the visual that we get from Scripture is that in the evening, they're sitting around the fire, visiting with one another. They go to sleep all in the same area. They wake up together, and they spend time together. How many have found that you can really develop some insight and develop a relationship with a person if you go on a weekend trip with them? Amen? You can, uh, for instance, I could see you Every Sunday here, just think about this with me. I can see you every Sunday at Life Church for a whole year. I can say hello and shake your hand. How's it going? What's going on in your life? Even talk to you for five minutes or so. How well am I going to know? Not very well. But if we take a, a drive together and we spend some time together and uh, we have dinner together, go to our hotel rooms, get up together, then you're really going to get to know somebody. And so Jesus' disciples, as they were spending time with him, they began to grow. They began to observe. Let's look at this next verse. Jesus had told the, uh, the, the multitude the parable of uh, the, the types of soil, the types of ground. And then as the multitude kind of left and dissipated, the disciples are with Jesus, and the disciples asked him, saying, what might this parable be? What's the meaning of this story? Jesus, and he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And then he went on to tell them what was the meaning of the parable. The point is they were learning. They were observing. They were subtly becoming more and more like Jesus. Why? Because they were connected to him and they were connected with each other. And at, at being connected, they began to grow. So Jesus made disciples by getting men connected, putting them in environments and settings where they would begin to grow. And the last step that Jesus used to make his disciples was to serve. Serve. Mark chapter 6, verse 7 through 13. Verse 7. And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. After they had spent time with Jesus and with each other, then they were sent out to take the ministry of Jesus and to serve the world, to serve 
people that were lost, to serve people that were needy, to serve people that were oppressed and possessed with devils, and to serve those that were sick. So Jesus said, and understand, it was a process. It was time. First was the connection, then was the growth, then was the serving. Now to illustrate this, you can see the soil here and the little plant that was in the first picture. In uh, in uh, the natural life, the natural world, there are plants and trees, trees specifically. A tree is a good example of this process. The first step is you've got to plant the seed, right? You've got to put the seed in the ground. What are you doing to the seed? You are connecting it to its life source, which is the soil, which is the organic material, which is uh, eventually going to be the light and the and the uh, liquid uh, that from which it will gain its sustenance. It's got to be that connect point. As long as the seed's in the bag, nothing's going to happen. But you get it connected to the right spot, amen, and something begins to happen. The same is true when people come to our services. You know, they can be out living in the world and just, you know, nothing really is happening. But you get them in an atmosphere where the Spirit is moving and where the Word of God is preached and all of a sudden, boom, something begins to happen. Life springs forth, amen. That seed begins to, begins to uh, uh, something begins to happen because it's put in the right environment and that connection happens. But then the next step for that tree is it's got to go through a process of growth that takes some time, right? takes some time and the final step once that tree is reaching maturity what does do many trees begin to give forth fruit they begin to give forth fruit which is something to benefit they begin to serve if you would serve those in need serve those that are hungry thirsty and so this is the process there is that planting or that connection there's that time of growth and then there's that time of serving this is the process that Jesus used. Amen? Even though sometimes as they begin to serve, they, they, they stumbled. They can't, the disciples came to Jesus and said, why could we not cast them out? Remember this story? The boy that threw himself in the fire and the water. Dad said, help this boy. Jesus in the meantime is up on the mountain of transfiguration. And uh, here's all this happening down here. The disciples unable to cast out the evil spirit. Jesus comes down takes authority over that evil spirit. Then a little bit later, the disciples said, Jesus, what did we do wrong here? Why were we not able to? You, you sent us out to do this. You gave us the authority. You commissioned us. Why couldn't we do it? The point is, as you begin to serve, you're going to have some failure. You're going to stumble. You're not going to measure up. But that doesn't mean to quit. Amen? You're still in a growth process. And sometimes you, some of your greatest growing happens when you begin to serve. Your greatest developing happens when you begin to serve. So here, here it is for Life Church. The Life Church discipleship plan is uses these same three words, connect, grow, and serve. We want, if we have a person and we want them to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, we've got to get them connected. We've got to enable them in an environment to grow. And then we've got to help them find an area in which they can serve the kingdom of God. Now, this is our, our logo, but this also contains our, uh, this also contains our um, uh, discipleship plan. You notice there are four points, one, two, 
three, four. But there are also three bridges. One, two, three. Does everybody see that? Four points and three bridges. One, two, three. Now here's here's the plan. Here's the plan. Watch carefully. Very carefully. Uh, I don't know if this is going to happen. Maybe a problem. Hey Amen. I need somebody to help me up there real quick just to advance it. I hope that this works because it, it really clearly illustrates these points. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to have built up something that you're not going to be able to enjoy and see. Just try to advance that, Brother Chris, see if it will advance. There we go. Okay, advance it again. This is the first step. This is the beginning. And the first step is we want people to connect to God. And how do we get people connected to God at Life Church? Think about this with you. How do we get people connected to God? When they come to our worship service and they begin to worship, we want there to be a connection between human beings and God. So let's say a random stranger is invited to church or comes in off the street. They walk into our church service. We want them to get connected to God, and that's going to happen in our worship service. Not only a random stranger, but the members of Life Church that are already serving God when they come into the church service, they've been busy, they may have been distracted during the week, but we want them immediately to be able to connect with God in our worship service. And of course, the Bible lets us know, number two, that uh, in order for someone to be a part of the kingdom of God and begin to grow, is they've got to experience the new birth experience, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which plays out in our lives as repentance or giving our life to the Lord, water baptism in the name of the Lord, and spirit baptism, which is our regeneration power, which gives us power to be new. So the first step is we want people to connect to God. And hit that one again. All right, and show us where that happens. Look at it again. That happens at our weekend service, our Sunday service. We are working together and praying, seeking God, to help us have weekend worship services that are connect points for people. Where people can come in and get connected to God. Everything we do from the beginning to the end of the service is all about trying to get people connected to God. Whether through the worship service, through the preaching of the word, and through the altar service, we want people to get connected to God and experience the new birth experience. Amen? Praise the Lord. Okay? Now, what's the final point? I, I do this on purpose. We start with the beginning point and we end with the, the final point. Go ahead and click that. The final point is serving, where we're actually doing the work of That's the people that are serving the kingdom of God, ministering to their brothers, and also ministering to a lost world, evangelizing the lost world. So that's the end of the process. All right, click it again. And this happens, click it again, through Christian service. Christian service. Every member of the body of Christ is to be a minister, to find a way to serve the body of Christ and to serve the world. This is the final point of the process. A disciple is someone who's grown up 
and is serving. A disciple is one who his life has fruit, has something to benefit those around them. That's the final point. Now, here's a problem. The problem is, how does a person get from that connection point at a weekend service, being receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being born again, to a full-grown Christian who's involved in Christian service? Now, in the past, some churches have said, that's all the Holy Spirit's work. We're going to let the Holy Ghost do that. Almost as if when someone is born again, they become like a superhero. And even though there's no bridge from point A to, to, to the final point, that they can find a way to get there. Look at this illustration here. Click it. Uh, see, they're a superhero. They, they don't need a bridge. They can just fly. Click it again. They can just fly from, from, from a new birth experience, that connection point to finally being used of God. But what happens is, is I've seen too many people not be able to make that jump too many people get lost in the process too many people that get frustrated because it's not clear how to get from there to there and so at life church we are working hard to try to make a simple process to help people understand how to get from connecting to god at a weekend service to finally being able to serve god through christian service click it again all right again and the key is the first part of our First part of our process is connect. They've gotten connected to God. Now they need to connect with the body of Christ. When somebody is born again, they immediately need a family again. Right? All right, click it again. And that's the next step. Click it again. Okay, again. Connect is the process, the first bridge. And okay, click that again. That is connecting with God's family. In the weekend service, we want them to connect with God. But the next step is getting them connected to God's family to where they commit to be a member of a church family. See, the problem is a person who only comes to church on a weekend service even if you go to a great church, you're never going to be what God wants you to be. Right? You're never going to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You say, but oh, my, my preacher, he's good. He ain't that good. There is no preacher that can take you to spiritual maturity and service in the kingdom of God without you making a commitment to a family to come under the umbrella and be a part of that family. And this is what church membership is about, committing to be a member of the body of Christ. Now, I'm not talking about just signing a role. I mean, there's churches that got a role. They have a, a, church, a church membership of 2,000, and then on Sunday they'll have 200. And there's a problem there, right? I think your membership should be smaller than your Sunday attendance. Because Sunday includes a lot of crowd that comes in that are just observing. But finally, they're challenged to that point of, I want to become a disciple. I, I, I don't want to just come and, and feel God's spirit, I'll, although I love it. I don't want to just be a, a partaker and a recipient. I want to give back. And so the first step is to get connected to the body of Christ. Get connected to other brothers and sisters. And uh, so connecting to God's family. All right, click it again. And uh, then the next step, go ahead and click. 
Well, let me just stop there and say the new life class is something we're endeavoring to do at Life Church. We've been working on this, and we put a number of people through the new life class, which is designed to let people know what it means to be a member of the church and give them the chance to commit to this body of believers, to be a part of this family here on Rosemead Boulevard Life Church. That's where we form this first bridge between the connection with God and getting connected with the body of Christ. So now they're connected. They're connected to a body of believers, into a family. They're not an orphan. They're not a newborn that I heard today someone that took a newborn baby and dropped it off at one of those safe delivery sites up in San Fernando. And sometimes that's what we're guilty of as the church, is drop off a newborn. But now, now they're, they're connected with God through the new birth experience and through worship. Now they get connected to the body of Christ. And the next step is that they would begin to grow. They're connected. They're in an environment, a family. They're connected with God. Now they should begin to grow. Click that again. All right, again. And one more time. And they begin to grow as a Christian. Now I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We've talked about this before. The great commandment lets us know that if we love God with all our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves then we're fulfilling all the commandments of God. We will fulfill all the commandments of God. They all hang on these two commandments. We love God with all of our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves. So spiritual growth is about learning how to really love God. Not just in like a, a splashy way where it's just lip service, but really, truly, deeply to love God and let that love affect our lifestyle and conduct. And secondly, to love others. This is what it means to grow as a Christian. All right, again. And then the final step. Look at it again. Well, let, let's stop there. The place that this is going to happen in Life Church, this is why we're moving this direction. Right now, right now, I've told you before that if someone attends Life Church only on the weekend, they're never going to grow. They're just like kind of connected. It's like survival. It's still in an IV or something. You know what I'm saying? But they can't progress and grow and become um, because they're not connected to They're not being taught. They're not being strengthened. And so what we have used for years to try to create spiritual growth, help people to love God and obey God, is Bible study. And Bible study is very, very important. Bible study is very important. But I have come to realize that Bible study in this setting is not the most effective thing to help people mature spiritually. Because while we learn the academic concept of loving God and loving each other, in this setting you're not really given any opportunities to put it into practice to love one another and to really love God. You're giving the information, but you're not giving the opportunity to practice that information. And one thing that I learned uh, in, in my uh, preparation education when I was learning how to become a school teacher is I learned that the old teaching techniques don't work today. 
sitting kids in a classroom and lecturing to them, to them, the kids that are watching television and have uh, uh, Sony PlayStation and the Wii, I think it's called, they're worried because the kids were had more body fat than their parents because they were vegging out all day. That uh, that nowadays, nowadays, children can't be lectured to. And even in the college setting, I learned, even at the college level, you don't just lecture to people because they don't really get the concept until you put it in their hands and say, now do something. Show us how it works. And so that's where the interactive or the tactile teaching came, where you have them actually apply what it is that you are trying to teach. Teach another person. Show another person how to do it. Talk about it. And then all of a sudden it became meaningful to them and they put it into practice. And so that's why we believe at Life Church that the most effective environment for spiritual growth is small group. Small group. And we'll explain a little bit more about that so you know what we mean. All right, click it again, brother. And then uh, the last step is to serve. And out of the small groups, out of the small groups, we believe that people will be given opportunities to serve brothers and sisters, to serve the church, and to serve lost people. Christian service. This is the final the final step. This is the process. Now, here's the cool part. As a, as a mature Christian at Life Church, our goal, this is where we're heading, our goal is that every mature Christian will do three things on a weekly basis. Okay? Now, just to let you understand, there's four points on there. There's one of the points that's only going to happen once. It's not going to happen on a weekly basis. Which one of those do you think that is? That's not going to happen every week. Out of the four points, weekend service, new life class, small group, Christian service. New life class, right. New life class happens once. You don't go through that every week. You, you go through it one time and you sign the membership and you're finished with it. But the other three things every mature Christian should be doing on a weekly basis through Life Church is our goal, is our plan. That is, every, every believer at Life Church will be connecting to God in the weekend worship service. They'll be growing in relationships with God and other people in their small group. And they'll also be serving the church and the world through some area of Christian service. So every week, what am I going to do? I'm going to connect to God at the weekend service. I'm going to grow in relationship with God and others through my small group. And finally, I'm going to find an area where I can serve my brothers and or a lost world on a weekly basis. That's our goal, okay? Everybody got that? So a new, a new believer comes in. Go ahead and click it. Someone comes to the Lord, and they start, and they go through the process. And so they have bridges to go on. The bridges are connect, grow, and serve. This is our goal. This is our plan. This is what we're working for at Life Church. And we've been uh, praying about this, asking for God's direction. And, and members of a strategic leadership team, we've been working together so that this plan, connect, grow, and serve, becomes a reality. Go ahead and uh, click that again. All right, I think I got it again. I think I got it, brother. So all of that was... Totally awesome, but for the next few minutes, I just want to focus on one aspect of that, and that is grow, the growth part. Now, I think all of us here, we've got the, pretty much all of us got the connect part down, right? We know what it is to get connected to God in the weekend worship service. You know what I'm talking about? 
Anybody know what it means to come to church and just kind of not take advantage of the service and kind of go through the motions and leave and you never really got connected? You know what I'm saying? When you come to church and you're thinking about everything else and uh, everybody else is worshiping and your mind is somewhere else, you haven't connected. Amen? We know we're getting pretty good at this at Life Church. We're getting better and better and better at helping people connect with God in our weekend service. Whether it's a new believer or a visitor or whether it's a faithful child of God, we're going to do whatever we can to have that connect point during the service where people can feel and experience and have an interaction with God. Amen? Most of you have experienced the new birth experience, the connect point. But we're talking specifically tonight about spiritual growth. How does it happen? Now, the first question is, what is, what, what is spiritual growth? What is growth? People have different ideas. Some people believe that growth is a destination. We're all trying to get to a certain point. Others believe that, that growth is represented by how much knowledge that you have. If I learn so much or know so much, then that's what uh, spiritual growth consists of. While knowledge is a part of the spiritual growth process, that's not a complete answer. Some people believe that growth is certain experiences that they have. If I can have this certain experience, this is what growth is. Other people believe that that, uh, spiritual growth is accomplishment of a plan. If you can go through all of these classes and and get all of these pins and get all of uh, these uh, uh, things that you've graduated from, then you are spiritually grown. But these are not a full example of what it means to be spiritually mature or spiritual growth. What the Bible says, I believe, is that spiritual growth is growing more in love with God and growing more in love with other people. Having more love for God, having more love for other people. Now that's going to affect you. That's going to change your whole approach. That's going to bring holiness into your life. You see what I'm saying? That's going to bring holiness into my life. More than going through a bunch of classes. Amen? While knowledge is an important part of the process, if I desire more and more to love God, I'm going to do whatever I can to please Him from His Word. Right? I'm not going to disobey Him. I'm going to want to obey Him. And also, when I get more and more love for other people, it's going to affect my conduct and the way I treat people, the way I interact with folks. And holiness is going to be the product of it. Amen? Praise the Lord. You all know of a person. You're thinking of a person perhaps right now. A person that you say, that's the way I want to treat people. That's the kind of character uh, that I want to have. And that comes from growing in love, uh, with love for others, with love for your neighbor. All right? Now, God is committed to growing our faith and trust in Him. This is what spiritual growth is. Learning to trust God. Learning to put our faith, and our confidence in God. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve, their relationship with God was broken because they quit trusting God, started to trust the serpent. They didn't trust the word of the Lord. And uh, so what what living for God is, is reentering a relationship of trust with God where you put confidence and trust in the Lord. Amen? And God is honored when we live a faith that puts trust and confidence in the Lord. 
And guess what? Our faith and trust in God grows through tests and trials. When I go through a difficult time, I am forced to learn to trust God. That's why some people are like, well, I'm I'm saved. How come life isn't going perfect now? I'm a Christian. Why isn't my finances just all come into order? I give my life to the Lord. Why am I still struggling with temptation? Why do I still have problems with my spouse? Why am I still struggling with that? Reality is, is that God uses these things to help us to learn to trust Him. To learn to put confidence in Him. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now the question is, what else does God use to grow our faith? What are the things? There's a mix of things. Five things that God uses to, uh, to help us grow as a Christian. These are catalysts or things that spur us on to grow, that cause us to move forward again. Maybe you've been stationary and you haven't been growing as a Christian. There are some things that God uses to fuel your faith, to make it go forward, to make you grow as a Christian and become more spiritually mature. It's ingredients that you mix together. And when you mix these five ingredients together, what's the product? The product is having greater confidence in the promises of God and having greater confidence in God, being able to trust Him more. When you mix these five things together, we're talking about these five things, it will cause you to have more confidence and trust in God. All right. The five catalysts or the five things that mix together that become cause us to have more confidence and trust in the Lord. This is what makes us grow as Christians. Number one is practical Bible teaching. Practical study of the Word of God. Everybody say the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. And when we study the Word of God, when we listen to teaching in the Word of God, what it does is, number one, it shows us where we really are. The Word of God is, is likened unto a looking glass or a mirror shows us what's wrong with us. If if I'm a mess, my hair's a mess, what am I looking for? I'm looking for a mirror. I gotta get things straight. I gotta find out what the problem is. If somebody's looking at me real weird, like what's wrong with them? I'm gonna go find a mirror and find out what, what happened. Do I have ketchup on my face? Is my hair messed up? Or what what's wrong? Is my uh, uh, is something wrong with my clothing? I've got to find a mirror. And the Word of God, the Bible says, is likened unto a mirror in the book of James. That when people, when it's brought down before people, they're able to see where they are. But the cool thing about the Bible is it not only shows us where we are, but it shows us where we need to go. The Bible wakes us up to the fact that we're not quite there yet. Amen? You know you're listening to good Bible teaching when it kind of hurts a little bit from time to time. You know you're listening to good Bible teaching when it causes you to realize that you're not there yet. When it causes you to realize there's some shortcomings. There's got to be a little bit of tension, a little bit of pressure. Because if not, then I don't know where I am and I don't know where I need to go. But the Word of God, practical Bible teaching, 
will build our faith. Amen? Hallelujah. Because the Word of God contains more than just how to be saved. I'm thankful that the Word of God makes it plain how to be saved. Put faith in Jesus Christ. Obey His Word. Amen? Be be Repent of your sins. Be baptized in His name. Receive His glorious Holy Spirit. But it also shows us what's wrong with us and where we need to grow. If you'll read the Bible, amen, it'll begin to speak to you. If you listen to good Bible teaching, it'll do the same thing for you. And how does the Word of God build our faith? The way that the Word of God builds our faith, as I said, it shows us where we are and where we need to go. But also, there are times in our life where we submit to the Word of God And all of a sudden, there is an intersection, intersection or coming together of our obedience and God's faithfulness, which means we do what the Bible says, and then we watch God come through and favor and bless us because of our obedience. And all of a sudden, we begin to trust God more than we ever did before. God, I've been obeying your word. And he says, well, here, I came through for you. Amen. I've been doing what you told me to do. And your obedience, amen, crosses with God's faithfulness and it builds your faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is how you begin to grow spiritually. You begin to put more confidence and trust into the Lord through practical Bible teaching. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So the question is, how are you exposing yourself to the truth from the Word of God? Are you reading the Bible? Do you make Bible study a priority? Do you come to the house of the Lord on Wednesday night and say, I don't want just a build me up or an evangelistic message, but I want the Word of God to show me where I am and show me where I need to go. The second catalyst for spiritual growth in this mix, in this, um, is providential relationships. What does providential mean? God provided or God ordered that God made it happen. example of this was uh, Peter and Cornelius. God brought them together. Now, it doesn't require an angel or a vision on a housetop for providential relationships to happen. Sometimes providential relationships seem to happen random, but it's not random. God has brought people into your life to help you grow. Guess what? It's almost impossible for you to grow spiritually without other people. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. That lets lets me know that sometimes it's two people coming together that helps to improve or cause spiritual growth. Now, this can happen in a positive or a negative way. Providential relationships can help you grow, but it can be enjoyable at times and just like, wow, this was awesome. A lot of times, most of the time, it's painful. Just like whenever a, you're sharpening an axe, there's some friction going on. There's sparks. Amen? Anybody ever had some relationships that had sparks? Yeah. Sometimes those relationships that have sparks are about exposing where you need to grow spiritually and helping you to grow spiritually. As I said, sometimes these providential relationships are people that will encourage you, people that will speak a word into your life, people that after you've been around them, you feel like, wow, I feel closer to God, and I've gotten a revelation 
It's given me an understanding. They've helped me. They've blessed me and they've moved me forward. But oftentimes these providential relationships that help us to grow spiritually are what my dad would call grace builders or people that you really don't like, people that you have a hard time being with, people that do things to you that you don't like that provoke in you a response that's not like Jesus. What's it doing? It's bringing, it's, it's pulling it, if you would, from beneath the surface and exposing that and, and teaching you how to be like Christ in situations that are stressful. Amen? Amen? None of us have had to experience what Jesus experienced with his friends turning their back on him and people spitting in his face when he did nothing to them. He was only well-meaning and they put spikes in his hands and feet and hung him on a rugged cross. And sometimes we feel like we've been so persecuted because we have to deal with somebody that's difficult. Come on, Jesus is trying to make us like him without making us put a nail in our hand. It's just relational. Providential relationships help us grow spiritually. And relationships are the context or the environment for long-term growth. Relationships reveal our character, and they also provide opportunities for growth. One of the greatest examples of this is in a marriage. In marriage. Marriage is not a 50-50 proposition. Marriage is 100%, 100%, right? In order for a marriage to work and prosper and grow, amen, in order for it to work, people have to grow. Do I have any married folks that can give me an amen that says, I am not the same person that I was when I entered into this marriage. I was much less mature. Amen? Because learning how to live with someone and mesh wills together and become one flesh is a process of helping you grow as a person. The same is true spiritually. God brings people into our life, puts us in relationship that help us grow. Amen? God's purpose for your life is being fulfilled even in the relationships among life church. You know what the problem is? Have you ever met somebody or, or seen somebody? Don't raise your hand, but you know of a person that whenever something goes wrong, they just pack up and leave and go somewhere else. I don't want to be stressed. I don't want to be pressured. I just want to be good feeling, good vibe. And so whenever somebody in the church offends them, whether it's the pastor or another member, somebody they don't like, what do they do? They get up and split. You know what they're doing? They're stopping God's process of maturing. God has put them in that place, planted them there, put relationships around them that are going to help them grow, that are going to knock off some rough edges, amen, that are going to do some improvements, that are going to take some uh, some things off of them so that they can become what God wants them to be. And so if I get up and leave every time I feel a little pressure, a little tension, if I get up and leave every time there's a little bit of sparks, then I never become what God wants me to be. Amen? God's planted me in life church, and God's planted you in life church. There's going to be times when it's tough. There's going to be times when it doesn't feel honky-dory, and we don't feel like a, a, a fit as a fiddle and light as a feather, and everything's just perfect. There are some times we're going to go through some pressure. The deal is stay put and recognize that God is using even tests and trials and relationships that don't make sense to help you become what God wants you to be. 
Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Think about it. How is God using other people to shape your life right now? Some of the greatest progress that you'll make in spiritual growth happens because of people that are difficult. Number three, the third catalyst that works together is private disciplines. Private disciplines. Private spiritual disciplines, which is my own personal time in the Word of God, my own personal time in prayer. These things tune my heart into the heart of God. If I don't practice prayer, if I don't read the Bible on my own, then I'm out of touch, I'm out of tune. Amen? And also, when you do it right, when you pray right, you you remain accountable to God. Amen? Anybody, I'm not going to ask you to respond to this, but maybe you've experienced this before. You've got sin in your life. You're disobeying God but you're trying to keep up your spiritual discipline. It's hard because you feel like a fake and you can't really get connected with God because that accountability is not there. But when you open up with God, when you repent, when you say, God, from this day I'm moving forward, then all of a sudden you have intimacy with God and you feel that closeness with God. Hallelujah. And what happens is whenever God speaks to us, a word through his word or answers a prayer, it builds up and strengthens our faith. Amen. When we when we can receive an answer from God in prayer, just like my wife and I received an answer to prayer earlier this year during our time of prayer and fasting, it strengthened our faith. And that's something the devil can never, ever take away from me. Amen. Never, ever take away from me. So your personal private disciplines of reading the Bible and praying something that keeps you tuned in with God and uh, helps to strengthen your faith. It takes time. It takes intentionality. If your approach is, I'm going to pray when I have time, you have a hard time, amen, having disciplines. That's like, I'm going to work out if I feel like it. It doesn't work that way. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. The question is, are you making time for these spiritual disciplines? Another number four out of five, number four is pivotal circumstances. These are things that happen in my life. There are things that transpire that seem devastating sometimes that are actually forcing us to look to God. I don't know about you, but I have found that when I go through a personal difficulty, trial, situation that's really rough, all of a sudden I find myself more concerned about talking with God, spending time with God, making sure that I'm tuned in with God. And sometimes these pivotal circumstances in our life are the very thing that begins to produce more confidence and trust in God. Hallelujah. Amen. As a teenager, I didn't know how to trust God. As a teenager, I hadn't been through very many experiences. Uh, thanks to God, I haven't been through a lot of terrible or devastating experiences, but I've been through some tough times now. I've been through some hard times. I've faced financial difficulty. I've faced disappointment. And you guys could add to the list of many things that you've gone through that force you to trust God, that actually cause you to look to God. And you found yourself in a difficult situation, and you finally said, where's God? And when you said, where's God? Then you could answer, there's God. I I see Him working now. I see Him at work in my life. He's doing something and my, my faith is strengthened. 
And when you go through those difficult times in your life and you find God in the midst of the trial, your faith is strengthened. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Remember the Bible that... The Bible says that Jesus sent his disciples into a storm. Jesus went up on the mountain. He knew the disciples were going to run into the demoniac that they couldn't cast out. He sent his disciples into difficult circumstances to develop their faith. Praise the Lord. Sometimes these pivotal circumstances are what help us grow spiritually. And the final one is personal ministry. When we begin to serve, we begin to let God's Spirit flow through us to minister to other people. Personal ministry allows us to experience God's power. You say, well, how does this help me grow? Everybody say, stretch. Ministry stretches us and allows us to participate in God's plan to redeem somebody else. God's plan to reach somebody else. God's got a plan to do something in that person's life and guess what? I'm allowed to be used by God to help in this redemption process. And it's a stretch, amen? But it helps me to grow spiritually when I find myself serving the kingdom of God. And whatever I do for the kingdom of God, we're working together to win soul, amen? Even if you're serving as a greeter, you're a soul winner. Even if you serve as an usher, remember, you're, you're not there just to keep the peace. You're there to, to win souls, Amen? to use what God's given. If you're a nursery worker, you're down there winning souls. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So these are the five things that mix together to create and uh, inspire and, and act as a catalyst for a person to grow. Last thing, is the preferred environment for spiritual growth. Where can I best experience these relationships? Study in the Word of God. Where can I best deal with the circumstances of life that I go through? I believe the best environment for spiritual growth is with people. Other people. I can't grow spiritually up on a mountaintop. I can have wonderful experiences with God, but, but the spiritual growth that God wants to do in my life happens in, 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 in relationships with other people. Now, that doesn't mean I can just like be the life of the party and have relationships with people who don't have a relationship or connection with God. But in order to grow spiritually, it's intentional relationship that I engage in that help me grow. Look at the Bible. The Bible says several. This is just a few of them. Some of the one and others of Scripture that lets us know that this was the environment that God expected us to grow in. Number one, we're to serve one another. Galatians. We're to... Uh, to accept one another in Romans. We're to forgive one another in Colossians. We're to greet one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to be devoted to one another, Romans. We're to honor one another also in Romans. We're to teach one another. We are to submit to one another, amen? And we are to encourage one another. This is just a partial list of all the one another's in Scripture that lets us know through the epistles and the writings of the uh, is that this church and spiritual growth is going to happen because you spend time with one another, because you encourage one another, because you pray for one another, because you look out for one another, you bear one another's burdens. Spiritual growth 
and the kingdom of God in your life moves forward because you are in the right environment and the right environment is with other people. That's why you've got to be a member of the church to grow spiritually. You've got to be connected to a body in order to grow spiritually. And finally, uh, we'll talk more next week about the specifics of what it, what a small group means and why we believe that a small group helps a person grow spiritually more so than sitting and listening to a teacher teach Bible lessons. Not that there's not a benefit to Bible study teaching because in our small groups there will be Bible study. But after the study of the Word of God, there's going to be an opportunity to put into practice. What are the goals of a small group? This preferred environment. This preferred environment where we can grow spiritually and sharpen one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. I've seen it firsthand. I watch people begin to perk up, begin to grow when you put them in the environment of a small group. The goals are to grow in relationship with God. To grow in our relationship with God. That's the goal of a small group. We want to be accountable to each other, to grow in our relationship with God. Also to grow in relationship with each other. To have a growing, prospering relationship with each other. And finally, the goal of a small group is to grow in number. About 12 to 15. Bringing in friends and others. To grow in number and then multiply and grow another group. This is the goal of small group. Let's stand together. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. See, God has not put us in Pasadena to hold the fort. God's not put us in this position just to kind of keep what we have. Amen? God's put us here to reach the world, to reach people. If our goal was to just hold on to what we have, then we could just have church Sunday, Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, get us all together, rally together, rejoice together. But our goal is to reach the world and make disciples out of people that are not even in the church tonight, to make disciples of Jesus Christ out of them. And here's the deal. I have observed, and you have observed, that if somebody that's a new Christian, that's just received the Holy Ghost, if they don't start developing relationships with other believers, it's not very long until they fizzle out in their Christian growth. It doesn't happen for them. And we've thought it, you know, I've always thought it was just, well, because people need friends. Well, that's part of it. But the reality is God designed it so that we would grow spiritually in the context of relationships with one another. And if a new believer doesn't get incorporated into a group, into a group, then what happens is they begin to fizzle spiritually. And and what happens if you're not intentional about having groups and getting people into groups, then there'll be some people that have good personalities, they're real, and they come into the church and they're able to integrate themselves. But then we lose a lot of people because they don't know how to integrate themselves. Because I watch, I watch uh, Sister Jackie, you have a small group, in, in, in the group of ladies there. It's not officially a small group. You don't... Uh, um, have official necessarily meetings every week, but you have a small group. And guess what? If a new believer gets connected to this bunch, they're going to start to thrive and grow spiritually. But you take that same new believer and just set them over here somewhere, and they're not going to grow spiritually. So the point is, 